Hello everyone. Today is Tuesday, May 19th. This is the Monday Morning Analyst. It's Tuesday, but it's the Monday Morning Analyst. Uh, my name is Luke Thomas. So let me just quickly get to what has happened and why it has happened. Um, <laughs> had some unforeseen circumstances that rely, required some home repair yesterday that completely threw everything off, which is why there was no Monday Morning Analyst at all, much less a ganked up version. Those things, even if I have to record an audio version, it's very easy to do. Look, I know you're tired of the excuses. No one believes me that I'm actually working with Studio to get a better version of this, but I thought that I at least owed you something rather than nothing, even if it's late. Better late than never, right? So here's the Monday morning analyst. We're going to go over UFC Fight Night 66, of course, um, which took place early in the morning on the East Coast uh, as it was based in the Manila, Philippines. Um, headlined by Frankie Edgar versus Uriah Faber. And then we'll go into Bellator 137 as well which was on Friday night on Spike TV, of course. So thank you for joining me. Thanks for everyone's patience. All I can say is I'm sorry, and um, no one cares if I'm telling you it's going to get better, but I'll just keep doing these, and hopefully um, you'll see that I'm right, and we'll just leave it at that. Okay, so uh, we got 30 minutes on the clock. Here we go. As you know, I try to do this in 30 minutes or less. Usually goes a little bit over, but that's okay this time. Boom. All right, we're on the clock. Uh, okay, can y'all hear me? Yes, you can. Let's adjust this microphone, however. There we go. Even better, huh? Even better. Okay, so we usually start with a big overview. Um, it's hard to make a big overview when you have two really sort of very disparate kind of events like this, there's not a unifying theme necessarily. Sometimes Bellator and UFC will line up cards where there are some commonalities between them, even if they're just sort of proportional commonalities. That wasn't the case this time. But what I did sort of notice was, you know, we've been complaining about guys sort of using the cage for takedowns. Um, and that wasn't necessarily that much the case this time. Now, I don't think that this is a cyclical thing where everyone is still all of a sudden waking up to MMA media's uh, otherwise irrelevant criticism and then all of a sudden changing what they're doing. But what I would say was, if you paid attention this time, especially in, uh, actually across both cards, really, the single leg takedown was a big, a big component of success. Uh, failure too, I suppose, but it was very, very common. There wasn't a lot of, I mean, of course, there's always some driving guys against the fence, trying to go maybe from a single to a double, um, you know, or doubling off from the single, which can be a little bit different than starting with a single and then trying to go around the double and hands class, pick up and drop. But I just mean, I was really kind of impressed with how, um, at least this time, how there wasn't such a heavy reliance on the cage for assistance. There might always be some, the fight may just sort of find itself there. Like it's the cage is a component in the fight. It's an important feature of all fights really. Um, but watching this action from this past week really sort of reminded me kind of um, that there is still some hope for MMA wrestling uh, as it stands. And um, especially in that Dantas Richmond fight, which we'll get to in, in a few minutes, obviously tons of single leg attempts, tons of single leg stoppages, but also tons of single leg finishes. It was great. Like there was just a lot. It was a really, really important feature of uh, takedowns, which is exciting to see because you know, if you should just blast double on a guy. It's hard. But you can get a guy to step forward with one foot, and you can reach for it, and maybe you don't finish. But if you're good at that single leg, there's a lot of opportunities for you there. Okay, so not much more to, to go over um, related to any kind of big picture issues 
uh, it was just sort of funny to me how big it was. The single leg featured at least this weekend in the fights. Okay, so we'll start with UFC Fight Night 66. This took place at the Mall of Asia Arena in, uh, they said Manila, but I guess it's technically Pase, Philippines. Uh, reported attendance was 13,446. I don't know if there is any gate number related to this. Uh, headlined by Edgar versus Faber. I had Saturday off, so I only watched it after the fact. I had DVR'd it. Uh, I am told that... Um, 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 the pacing was kind of bad and I'm sure that it is because they're not interested in moving the show along. They're interested in maximizing it. Right. So that's why there's going to be more ads or at least repeated ads. There's going to be throwing it to the studio. There's going to be whatever the case, it's a low rated network for now, Fox sports one. So they're trying to fix that or at least, or, you know, uh, maximize time when they have a dedicated audience showing up for a live event by making it drag. Um, I'm not saying we should stop complaining, but just know what you're up against. All right. So in the main event, Frankie Edgar took on Uriah Faber. Um, Edgar won via unanimous decision, 50-45 across the board. This was a funny fight. First of all, some of the criticism I thought of this fight was really interesting. Again, if you're one of these people that says, well, if it's a high-level technical fight, you can't be saying it's boring. How could you call this boring? Look at how, look at how high-level this is. That's, to me, a totally flat criticism. And, I've, and I bring it up all the time, like the Meow Brothers in Jiu-Jitsu. They have um, – the, I just don't like the way they compete. It's not particularly interesting to me. But but they're highly effective and highly technical. So, like, this idea that, um, you know, high-level technique is an automatic preference. I mean, it is. I mean, I, I certainly would rather have that than not have it. But once you get there, there are degrees of entertainment even within that sphere and I, I thought this was not a particularly uh, entertaining affair didn't think it was boring just not particularly entertaining anyway um this was not this was a weird fight because ed um faber was essentially offensively muted he got hit with a couple of knee taps there was one takedown it was actually here we go it was a single leg to one side so you saw edgar grab the left leg of faber try to run the pipe that way when faber um brought weight off of the opposite leg Right, because he's going to lean one way. Um, Edgar circled back the other, doubling off like a Borghazi finish. So that was kind of cool. Um, you, and you saw even getting hands classed together along the back of the fence. So you had a nice variety of takedowns. Didn't come to a little bit later in the fight, but you know, hitting the knee taps, hitting the single, and then changing the single to off to a, a modified double. Um, really was able to use the takedown when he needed it. Um, you know, it wasn't a whole lot to, to do on the ground necessarily. Um, oh, there was a couple moments where he was able to, excuse me, interesting passing, but that wasn't really the future of the fight. Future of the fight was, um, I thought Faber had some, a couple of good combinations here and there when he mixed punches with lower body strikes. I thought that was what he had excelled at best, but, but when he throws just one hand, um, there's just not a lot there. Also, the footwork was kind of interesting to me too. Edgar has this sort of smooth dance that he goes through with his footwork where he's sort of moving side to side and cutting angles and finding range, and it involves a lot of head movement as such. Faber has this bit where his stance, sometimes it narrows, but a lot of times it stays locked and he crow hops places. Uh, and he's able to do that because he's like lightning quick. But I, I wonder if that, you know, it doesn't leave him the kind of balance he needs for a fuller 
combination striking attack. So you saw over the course of the rounds, Edgar essentially, Edgar got hit with a few shots, especially with knees up the middle. I thought Faber excelled at that pretty well. Uh, but what you found a lot was that he was able to counter Faber off Faber's overhand right. He would get Faber to commit a certain way, block the first shot, and then and then um, make him pay after the fact, mixing in some of the takedowns. Even if you couldn't get a takedown, he would get behind the arm to block it and then get a tight waist from the back. So there was just he was just a little bit smoother, a little bit cleaner, a little bit more polished. I saw some discussion as well about whether it was a blowout. You know, three judges' scorecards at 50-45 does not tell you whether it's a blowout. It tells you that, um, you know, one guy won all five rounds, essentially, but it doesn't tell you a lot more than that. I thought this fight was close all five rounds. Not that I, at the end of each round I was like, well, was that Faber or Edgar's? It was Edgar's, but it wasn't Edgar's by any sort of wide margin. And then once that first round is over essentially a new fight begins. And so if you look at it that way, um, a, a clean sheet, as it were, for Frankie Edgar, but not like Uriah Faber didn't leave there battered, bruised, and bloody. That, that wasn't the case at all. So anyway, um, a strong showing by Frankie Edgar. Frankly, I didn't see a whole lot there that gave me a lot of confidence about, um, you know, a rematch with Aldo, but, or, or really, I'm not even sure how we do it against uh, McGregor, if we're being honest, but, We'll see how the wrestling plays out in uh, McGregor's future before we can make too many comments about that. Uh, okay. In the co-main event, Gagard Musasi taking on Costa Filippou. Uh, he won 30-27 across the board. This was essentially a lesson in half guard. Musasi, again, another guy using single leg takedowns with ease. And, and I was amazed at how well he ran the pipe. Driving with the shoulder and circling out, but then getting his feet up from off the ground to really force uh, Costa to the ground. You know, a lot of times when guys go down on singles, they don't flop necessarily, but it's not like a thud when they get picked up and dropped on a double. But if someone does a single leg with authority, man, and they, you see them go down really fast, man, that's a, that must be getting snapped down. Um, so great job by Masasi there. Essentially from half guard, he was able to threaten with Kamora's a couple of times, but, you know, Costa's probably really strong with able, you know, getting his elbow when he needs to, not getting his arm too far separated when he doesn't need or when he doesn't want to. Um, you know, here's the thing with like Costa and anyone else. If you don't have a great guard, you need to be excellent at getting up. And when I say great guard, I mean sweeps, recovery, striking from the bottom. Now, if they're on their knees, there's not so much you can do. But if they're standing, you can kick them in the face. Even if they're not standing, you can kick them in the chest or the arms. Or, the you know, you can kick a post out, something. Um, and his guard just seemed to be just enough to, like, survive. Like, you can't finish me. I'm going to be here the rest of the fight but it's not really any offensive threat. And if that's the case, you got to be able to scramble, man. And I think they really cost him, but you know, strong from Musasi mixing in uh, elbows and uh, avoiding Costa's risk control for the, for huge portions of the fight. So really a strong lesson in that regard. Uh, I got some notes on the next one. Mark Munoz defeated Luke Barnett via unanimous decision. Two judges scorecards at 27, one of 29, uh, 28. Let me pull up my notes here on this fight because it was actually kind of good. Um, let's see. A couple things that I noticed. Um, let's see. First of all, what was the key punch that Munoz used? Right? It was the overhand right. And why was it the overhand right? I was looking at this. Early on in the fight, Barnett essentially had no jab, so he was just sort of wide open. But it was more than that. Um, so, Fightnomics... Uh, Reed Kuhn has done some studies to say that reach uh, really matters in MMA. Height, not so much. Like, there's no 
advantages conferred from height. In boxing, that may not be the case, right? Because it's tiresome to punch up, you know, uh, all the time. So there, there, there possibly could be some advantages there. Plus, you have bigger gloves, and 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 so it's easier to defend and things like that. But um, the thing that I noticed was with the height differential, there were moments where if Munoz was crouching at all, now if he was standing ramrod straight, then this happened in the third round, it didn't so much matter. But if he was crouched at all and his level was slightly lowered, what you found was Barnett not just jabbing straight across his body, jabbing down. So now he's creating more of an angle. If your angle is here with the punches to get countered and now it's here, you've now opened that much more space. So he was punching down a lot. You saw that a lot. And as a consequence, boom, here comes Munoz winging right hands over the top, following up with the good lefts as well, too. Like, you didn't just throw one strike and back off. He was trying to get flurries going, which I really appreciated. Um, so he initially, Munoz tried to take Barnett down, almost got guillotined, but, you know, wisely before Barnett even touched the mat, Munoz was hopping to the other side. Um I appreciated the doggedness with which Munoz was using takedowns. So he failed from a a front headlock inside trip. But as Barnett was turning, grabbed an ankle, secured. So whenever someone's trying to like scoot away, you want to have both portions of the leg controlled. You have just two hands on the ankle. That may not be enough. Uh, If you have a strength advantage, it might be. But let's say all things are equal. You want to have one on the ankle and then one above the knee, which he was able to do really quickly and follow him through. I, I appreciated that. Um and also, I just thought generally looking at this fight, it was such a great reminder of the brutal ground and pound of Mark Munoz. You know, Duke Rufus has told me that he thinks that the muscle groupings required for both balance and punching and ground and pound is different than it is for stand-up striking. I'm inclined to believe him. And I just feel like Munoz, we know, had big power standing, but he had way more big power consistently uh, when he was competing in the ground and pound space. And this was just such a great reminder of that. Um Another time in the second round, Munoz going for a single leg, couldn't get it, decided to go elbow deep on the high crotch, picked him up and dumped him. I thought that was awesome. Um, Good job by Luke Barnett using his uh, height for one reason. A lot of times, actually I'll get to this in the Rafael Silva fight with Darian Caldwell, but suffice it to say, good job by Barnett getting his feet on the hips, pushing away, and then doing a technical stand-up to get on his feet. I like that a lot. Um there was one moment where Barnett had good takedown defense in the third round too. So you saw that um, Munoz go for a single, couldn't get it, couldn't go for the outside single or the inside single, head inside, head outside, then tried the same thing with the high crotch lift and couldn't do that either. And so uh, I thought Barnett had finally sort of, Figured out a way to get better takedown defense in the third round, although ultimately it didn't matter. And he got he was getting bruised up close to the end of that round, but a lot of that was set up with punches too. Anyway, just a really very strong performance from from Mark Munoz. Didn't quite get the finish he was looking for, but it was pretty dominant. Um, and uh, you know that post fight speech. I mean, I wouldn't call it Lou Gehrig. You know, I consider myself uh, the luckiest man on the face of the earth, or something like that. But it was it was a very good speech and and, and very heart moving or, or heartwarming, I should say. Uh, Neil Magny defeated Hung Gyu Lim. This was a good performance, and as you guys know, I've been very skeptical of Magny. Got to eat my words here just a little bit. Um, Magny looked good. First of all, one thing that I really noticed was if you go back to the Sergio Moraes fight, you know, Lim just got passed, or excuse me, I'm sorry, Magny just got passed with ease. Now, against Moraes, that's 
fairly understandable. He's you know pretty high level black belt, but um, it's a little more than that. I, I felt like there was just a really lacking of defensive fundamentals there. And certainly, when someone shows you good passing, that doesn't mean necessarily that they have fixed those issues. But I thought he had a really good pressure passing in this fight. Had good mixing up of strikes, finding openings, Lim leaving a ton of. I mean, Lim used like a knee shield for a little while, but Magni was just able to slice right through it. Um, great thing that Magni did, in this, you know, in addition to showing the resiliency and you know clinching up and all that stuff after he got hurt. But I mean, on the ground, he was taking Lim's back, and you notice he did the whole BJ Penn thing, where he doesn't just lock on the choke; he locks on the choke, or at least attempts it as he takes you off of your base. Really appreciated that from from uh, Magni. Um, round two, we went back to jabbing, went back to switching sides left and right. Um, and I like that he jabbed, switched sides, then used the left straight to get inside to get in clinch with, with limb, put a ton of pressure on him, made him break essentially. Uh, and I don't think the cardio, he could keep up with the pacing, not just the movement necessarily, but the pacing of like all the moments he was trying something, um, and essentially just broke him. I like the fact that when he Magni clinched with him, Failed on the first attempt and then turned the opposite way, noticing there was no one behind, or not no one behind him, but that there was open space behind him. And then when he picked him up and dropped him, he didn't just drop him to his side. He rotated out so that there would be just wide open space when you come down. You can bring him down with more authority than if you just pick him up and just sort of like drop him to your side. If you pick him up and then back step and then you, and then you turn into the back step, which is what he did. Boom! You come. You saw Lim crash when he came down. Um, so you know a little bit extra brutality to Lim's game that I think not Lim's game. Sorry, Magni's game that had been missing there. Really enjoyed that as well. Uh, let's see here. Felipe Nova defeated Uchul uh, Nam. Split decision. Not 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 a whole lot to say about this fight, unfortunately. Uh, Levin Makashvili defeated Mark Diva. There was a couple of notes I made for this one that I thought were worth noting. Um, yeah. Second round, Makashvili running the pipe, securing a double. There was a moment there where Brian Stan entered a fence grab that if you stop a takedown from the fence grab, they should just start you on the ground. I completely agree. Um, Makashvili, not a lot of passing. Was able to get to half guard, but not much more than that. Was just really sort of content to control position. Um Let's see. Makashvili stuffed a double. Yeah, not a whole lot in the in that fight to really go over. Um, there's a couple moments where Makashvili got, you know, yanked uh, Adiva to the mat, and then Adiva was able to shrimp just enough to not come up and leg drag. Okay, that was kind of cool, but not a whole lot to really talk about. John Tuck defeated Taehyung Bang in the first round via rear naked choke. I like submissions, but I want to get through some of these. Uh, K. John Johnson defeated uh, Zhang Leping, uh, 30 27, 29, 28, 29, 28. Uh, Li Jiang Lang defeated Diego Lima at 121 of the first round, man. Uppercuts. Had, I thought Lima was doing pretty well for the most part. It wasn't in a lot of trouble. But these guys, man, they get up against the fence and then they just start pocket trading. You see it all the time. You see it a lot in, in I would say, regional MMA, too. I'm a little surprised that. Um, Lima still does it a little bit. Well, I mean, all guys get caught up in the moment, but the the aggressor doesn't just sort of like move forward. <coughs> they move forward till the opponent gets to the fence, and then they just sort of find the appropriate range. And he was doing that. He was just coming forward with punches the whole time. So he not only had Lima reacting generally, but he had him reacting off of uh, bad distancing with nowhere to go. He had nowhere to go. 
So instead of circling out or clinching up or shooting for a takedown or just, you know, eliminating the space between them because he's in a disadvantageous scenario, he just sort of decided to fire back and, and he paid for it as a consequence. Uh, Yao uh, versus Royston Wee just absolutely deserves no comment whatsoever. Um, John De Los Reyes defeated Rolden uh, Sancha An via rear naked choke, 313 of the second round. This was a great fight, a lot of fun. Sancha An has a ton of technical problems, but is a ferocious competitor. I think you can give him that at a minimum. De Los Reyes trying to be like the more technical of the two, which is a very difficult thing to do, but still somehow managed it. Oh, by the way, I forgot to mention the Barnett Munoz fight. Barnett had a Uchimata and a um, and a Harai Goshi, both of them from the clinch. Nicely done by him, by the way. Uh, let's see. I want to talk about that Sancha on one. Uh, here we go. So you saw one moment where Sancha on only really got his back taken. De Los Reyes comes around the back but can't get his left leg over the head as he's sort of circling. He's posting his right hand. He's trying to get his left leg over the face of Sancho on. Can't do it. So then he comes to his back, and as he comes to his back, he tries to roll into a triangle. That didn't work either, but I appreciate the attempt of there. Going one way with the offense doesn't work. Go back the other way because that's where their balance is going to be, right? Um, decent job by Dalos Reyes. Trying to go f- to the armbar, then the omoplata, using the omoplata to stand. Uh, and and then eventually get on top of uh, Sancha An. I appreciated that. Sancha An had a nice hitchhiker escape. You saw an armbar attempt from the bottom by De Los Reyes. The key to the hitchhiker escape is not that you are able to move your body. I mean, that's that's important too. The hitchhiker escape is one of these last resort things like Franklin versus Looter where it's not that it's hard to hit necessarily. Like it's not super complicated reverse daily heave, spit on your shoulders, back take is that you got to be, the timing has got to be there. Timing's got to be there. And his timing was there coming over his own body and then around the corner. Very nicely done. Sancho on locked up a cow catcher in that first round. You notice that? So like the head is behind you here and you've locked up both their arms and he had it clasped, but that's a really hard submission to finish, particularly if you're a mount, like if your hips are scooted forward, and their hips are, you know, like if you're this way, you can do it. But if if you're on top of them and you're trying to do it, you know, you need to have an insane squeeze for that to happen. Um, there was a moment there where from underneath, Dalos Reyes was able to catch a punch, grab, and turn. I thought that was kind of cool. Um, and the way the fight ended, and there's moments there where, you know, Sancho An is just blasting back and forth, you know, throwing these wild punches. What really got thought I thought was kind of interesting was De Los Reyes sort of committed to the technicality of his game. He essentially stands up, throws the legs over, gets the pass. Sancho An rolls to his base. As he does, you see the hook come in, um, and you always want to go near hook, not jumping over the top far side hook. Near hook first. Sinks that near side hook, gets it, and then just before he's about to lose the position, because Sancho An is on the move, he reaches underneath and then grabs the far side wrist. So he's like behind the armpit and then between the arms. So like if the arm was coming here and then grabbing here, if it was coming this direction behind you. Got it from there, snatched up the rear naked choke, had to switch sides to it to eventually get it, but he got it done. Uh, really good job by John Dalos Reyes. Very, very impressed with that finish and the uh, commitment to um, attacks from the back there. And then Yao, uh, I can't pronounce this fool's name, Jacui, whatever you pronounce it, the Chinese guy, uh, defeated Nolan Tickman via split decision. 
not allowed to say about that one uh, at all. Okay, so uh, fighter of the card on that one, I will give, since I have to acknowledge my own wrongdoing, I'll probably give it to Neil Magny, just because finishing uh, Hung Yu Lim at 124 of the second round, really impressive, especially coming back from deficit, and I just like that he added some brutality to his game that I wasn't quite sure was there before. Pressure passing was, was a component of it, but just a little bit of, a little meanness, uh, which I like to see from from fighters as well. Technical meanness, but meanness just the same. Uh, okay, Bellator 137. This took place on Friday night on Spike TV. We will only go over the main card here. This took place at the Pachanga Resort and Casino. I do not have any numbers on gate and or attendance, but, you know, it's a casino. How big could it be? Um, Brendan Halsey defeated Kendall Grove via TKO at 224 of the fourth round. I thought it was a pretty decent stoppage. Stoppage. Um, obviously, as we know, Halsey had to vacate his title. This was a catchweight of 188 pounds, supposed to be a middleweight title fight. So even though Halsey wins, he is not the champion. It's still up for grabs. This is basically what you would expect it to be. Um, uh, easy takedowns, a lot of passing, a couple of moments where um, Grove had a triangle attempt, but either got stacked past or... Um, just couldn't quite control. Like, Grove's legs are really good in the sense that he can shoot them out to grab you from far away. But if you can't combine that with posture control, there's just not a whole lot you have. In fact, sometimes you want to get the posture control first and then use your legs as like a really, um, you know, clinch and move uh, uh, objects. He just didn't have that. And that was kind of problematic for him. Um, And he was doing everything possible to avoid getting pounded on he was doing a lot of blocking of the shots, even a lot of the replays. You can see him totally covering up, but he just wasn't. Eventually, he was just sort of laying there, not really offering much more than covering up, and so they had to stop. Um, I thought he had a couple of good switch knees. I was standing once or twice, but he never really had Halsey hurt. I was kind of surprised by Halsey's cardio. It was much better than I thought it was going to be, especially since the guy missed weight. That was kind of interesting. So, um, you know, but it's, it, it essentially was what you thought it was. Halsey able to get a takedown, the pass when necessary, or at least control from, like, a leg ride, either on the top or from uh, Grove's turtle position, and then just beating on him until he could finally secure a stoppage from there. Uh, Eduardo Dantas defeated Mike Richmond via unanimous decision, 29-28 across the board. Essentially, the first and third rounds went to Dantas, and everything else went, or at least the second round anyway, went to uh, Richmond. Let me pull up my notes from the fight here. Um, funny that thing that Dantas tried to do, tried to do a modified gift wrap where he was in Richmond's guard. He had taken him down off a single leg, picked, got a single leg and then did the treetop trip where he goes face forward. Richmond rolled to his back, got in his guard and then tried to pass one of Richmond's arms over to the other one, but couldn't quite get it. It's hard to do, man. It's to get someone's arm and pass it to the other one and hold it, especially no gi. Like if you got a gi, you can just hold the grip and they can move their hand in and around, but you can at least get a nice tight grip on it. It's hard, no gi. Very, very hard. You have to be very strong for that. So he couldn't quite get it, but I, I like the attempt. Um, let's see. In round two, the story of the fight really was played out in round two. It was a series of single leg attempts from Dantas and it was a series of stuffing from um, Mike Richmond. What I liked about Mike Richmond was a lot of times you see guys try to stuff it with a wizard and then they're leaning on a guy and then forcing like a 50-50 position and sliding their leg out. Man, Mike Richmond, most of the time, was able to get his hands in front, create barriers. So that Rich, that that, that Dantas had to just abandon the single leg right away, you know, right away. But when you got a guy like Richmond who's giving you that boxer stance, it's just going to be a lot easier to pick up a leg than it is to sort of blast through both of them, especially when this takedown defense of the double is really, really good. 
Um, Richmond scored in the second round a lot with jabs, um, uh, left straights, uh, was doing a bit where he would go inside the leg on the leg kick and then immediately on the same side leg on the outside. That landed a few times. So he was touching up in the second round a, a fair bit. By the third round, though, what happened was you see Richmond walking Dantas down. Dantas throws a spinning back fist that's blocked. It does not land, but it gets Richmond sitting in space for just a moment, for just a moment, which gave Dantas all the time he needed to lock up the single leg, run the pipe, and from there essentially control the rest of the round. So um, Richmond did not look out of place, but this was won by the superior fighter for sure. Uh, Fernando Gonzalez defeated Curtis Melender via guillotine choke. I'll just walk through the finish. The fight was going as you would expect. Um, Gonzalez has a nice array of punches, none of them particularly threatening, but he can do a lot with that various kind of attack there. Uh, Melender just sort of, I don't know, very conventional striking. But Gonzalez, uh, you had essentially on his back, you had Melender level here leaning into him. So he did, uh, Gonzalez did the whole um, Carlos Condit, Carlo Prater bit. Posts on one hand, comes over the neck with the other, doesn't lean straight back, does the correct thing because you need that for the leverage to finish. Takes that same side foot where the hand is posting, shrimps out a little bit, leans to the right side, and then with an arm in on the backside, comes in and finishes the guillotine. You can't. It's hard to finish this way, leaning back. You could do a crunch arm in guillotine sometimes. Those are hard to finish too. But if you get the arm in and you go to one side, now you've got your own weight shifted down. It's a little bit easier to sort of get the, the tight spacing that you need uh, to finish, and you can still control them really well. So good job. Nice little adjustment there by... Uh, Fernando Gonzalez to make everything possible. That that happened at 114 of the third round. And then in the opening fight, Darian Caldwell defeated Rafael Silva via unanimous decision 29-28 across the board. Um, I thought Darian Caldwell looked really good. Again, this was a guy whose game looked pretty conventional, but, um, but um, he was just way faster than Silva. Great balance on top. Um, able to mix in enough strikes to make things work. Um, so one of the things that was funny about this was, I mentioned in the Luke Barnett fight, we often see guys with long legs and you say, oh, well, that guy must have an amazing guard. And sometimes they do. Sometimes they don't, though. And one of the things I noticed with Rafael Silva, and it happens to me when I roll with smaller guys, I have a harder time with him a lot of the times, a lot of the times, because the smaller guys are able to get their feet and hands and elbows into the tiniest of spaces. And so they can block you in ways you aren't accustomed to being blocked or at least off-balance you in ways you aren't used to being off-balanced. So Caldwell got a takedown and was in Silva's half guard. But then Silva, rather than just lock his legs up and then, you know, hold on to him, he took the outside leg that was coming over the top and squeezed it into the thigh of uh, Caldwell and then used that to try and force a sweep, which forced um, – Caldwell to take a back step to avoid being thrown over. Uh, and then Silva was able to recapture guard, I believe, after that. So it's small little details like that. I mean, you may not look a lot like that to you, and it doesn't change the course of the fight. There's a 30-minute window, and it doesn't change everything uh, in the world. But it's just a nice little detail to see that sometimes you see, oh, well, big guys, that long and lanky. They must have amazing guards. They can finish triangles with from a from better distances, but they can't get into the tiny spaces that the smaller, more compact guys who are muscular but not too muscular can really make your life uh, a living hell. Um, 
amazing that Caldwell getting um, inside trip with barely even changing his level because he's so long and lanky. Um, one thing I noticed was Caldwell was trying to do a knee on belly, but had his trail or had his had the knee on belly leg kind of just floating out in free space. So that enabled Silva to just push on it and grab it with his own legs. The knee on belly, you want to have either some the way some people teach it is your shin across hip to hip, or as the recent adjustment I was shown was foot here, knee here, like you're like it's a sash, like across the body. And that is super painful the second way. Really hard, especially if you have a gi on and someone can grab the lapel and then grab your arm, uh, sorry, grab your leg. So you can't use your leg to like balance them off and they're like pulling you in. Oh, it's it's death from above, 1979, man. So so he didn't really do that. He just kind of had it floating in between uh, Silva's legs. And as a consequence, Silva was able to like stop it um, pretty easily. One thing I noticed with both guys, something that Darian Caldwell is going to need to work on. His speed's great. Obviously, his wrestling is amazing. His balance and grappling transitions is, is phenomenal and like totally instinctive. Uh, not a lot of footwork from him. Not a lot of footwork, sort of moving around a little bit, but not really dedicated footwork, more just sort of standing there, waiting for things to happen, and then reacting accordingly. Uh, I would like to see that changed, if at all possible. Uh, okay, so that was Bellator 137, fighter of the card. I'm going to give to Fernando Gonzalez, because Fernando Gonzalez, I think, is one of these guys who was a middling fighter and one way or another just got better, just got better. And was given a second chance. Brett Okamoto wrote a story about how Bjorn Rebney, of all people, gave Fernando Gonzalez a second chance, or a, a last chance anyway. And uh, the guy took it and ran with it. And I'm, I couldn't be happier for him. A nice guy that seems to be, uh, a, whose record does not show how good he is. I don't think, you know, how far is he going to go? I don't know. But that he's come this far at all, sorry, I got something in my eye, is, is kind of amazing. Uh, so what do we have next week on the horizon? Of course, I think there's UFC 187. Um, that's happening. I believe there's a, there might be, I don't know, there'll be something on Access TV. We'll get to it as well. And uh, don't forget that we're not too far away from the IBJJF Worlds. They're not this weekend, but they're the one after that. So uh, a lot is coming this month here in uh, May of 2015. You may email me at luke.thomas at, let's see, espionation.com. You can um, like me on Facebook, facebook.com slash Sports, and follow me on Twitter at SBN Luke Thomas. Until next time, sorry for the delay. Thank you so much. Enjoy the fights.